Let's get going on this January 19th. It's Steinberg and Aaron Vickers, and let's get things going on the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Did you know Calgary Lock and Safe also fixes doors? If you have one that needs it, visit calgarylockandsafe.com slash doors. Uh, with Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. It's Pat Steinberg along with you. Hello, Vix. Patrick, happy Friday. Happy Friday. Following a Flames 4-3 loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs on Thursday to snap their losing skid at, uh, sorry, to snap their winning streak at 4 and for Toronto snapping their losing skid at four. Uh, that part of what we're talking about this hour is uh, we kick things off by going inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. It's that time to stock up for the celebrations that matter with ingredients that help make memories. Visit Calgary Co-op where life's in store. Well, question that I will ask to uh, kick off the hour. It's a fun one. Is it Matt Coronado time? And I think it's probably safe to say that the answer is yes, it's Matt Coronado time. Now, the bad news is this. Martin Pospisil went down with an upper body injury late in the first period of that game on Thursday night. Just a weird little clip with his skate and Austin Matthews skate. Just a completely uh, unavoidable collision there and just bad timing, bad place on the ice. Yeah. Pospisil went hard into the boards and... Sounds like he's going to be out a little while with an upper body injury, which opens up a clear top nine spot for the Flames. And with a top nine spot open, there's nobody that makes more sense than Coronado. And and that's why you can expect this to happen here. Um, and maybe he gets into Saturday's Battle of Alberta. Maybe he doesn't. Would stand to reason he probably does if when he gets recalled. It just makes the most sense because we know that Craig Conroy and this management group has been trying to get him into um, into the, the lineup or into the onto the roster here for a little while, but there really hasn't been a spot. The top nine has been set, and the Flames only want to play him in the top nine. They don't think that Matt Coronado on a fourth line makes a ton of sense. So while the top nine has been set, the Kadri line's been set, uh, and then you've had the Lindholm line and the Backlund line pretty set, and the only changes have been a swap there with Manjapani and Huberdo. So you know, the top nine has been very, very static here for the last number of months. There hasn't been a natural opportunity to bring Coronado in, and so this would be it. And and I think they're going to miss Pospisil. I really do. The, the edge that he brings, the pace that he brings, and some of the space that he opens up with his play on that cadre line, I, I think they're really going to miss him. But it does open the door for a guy like Coronado and Top nine for top nine, right? This is something that that we've been talking about. If you've got a need for a top nine forward and it's time to go the American League route, well, then call up a guy who's a top nine forward. And that's what Matt Coronado profiles as. So, yeah, I'm excited to see this and, and should be a lot of fun. First and foremost, you go out to uh, Pospisil. You hope the best for him because this is a young kid that's had multiple concussions, shoulder surgery, knee surgery. So, first and foremost, you just wish him the best and a speedy recovery. And you're right. When we were talking earlier this week about the fourth line needs an injection or it needs something, it needs a change or it needs just anything to get it going because it wasn't necessarily the line that was going for the Calgary Flames and it hasn't been for some time. And when you look at the fourth line construction, Matt Coronado wasn't a fit there. You need somebody that fits the mold of what you want your fourth line to be. And you don't want Matt Coronado coming up and being the guy that's tasked with jump-starting the fourth line. But now that there is an opening in the top nine, he's absolutely the guy you want. He profiles the best. He fits the mold. He's an offensive guy that's leading your American Hockey League team in scoring. And there is a legit opportunity to put him in a position to succeed. And to me, he's just the natural fit to come up from the Wranglers up to the main roster as a potential candidate to slot. Again, Pospis was a left shot, but he was playing the right wing. Now you've got a play, player, pardon me, in Matt Coronado, who's also a natural right shot 
that can slide into that position alongside Nazem Kadri and Connor Zeri. To me, he's the natural recall you'd make in this situation. And to me, he's the natural fit to play on that line. 29 points in 27 AHL games. He is an American League All-Star for the first time. And and they need a top nine forward. And and they've tried other players in that spot. I mean, Dubé's got a couple of runs up in the top nine recently. Um, Rizicka earlier in the season has gotten those opportunities. And, and maybe that's the way... Ryan Huska still goes. I'd be a little surprised, but maybe that is the way that they still go, you know, airing on players they're more familiar with. It did feel like the coaching staff lost some trust in Coronado in his first stint up here at the beginning of the season as it went on. Um, So we'll see how they end up going, but it sure does just feel, if you don't want to rock the boat too much, it does feel just like a pretty automatic insertion Coronado on that line with Kadri and Zeri and see where it goes. You know, Coronado has spent time with Kadri before, uh, before he was sent down to the American league in early November. I think it was his last game, the heritage classic. I, I feel, it feels like his last game was the heritage classic. Well, I, I know he came back up for the one there and got sent back down, but feels like his last game before being sent to the American league. The first time, was the Heritage Classic. You look that up while I continue flapping my gums. He did end up playing against Dallas on November 1, and he did get the one game okay. in on December 9th. I knew, I, I, I knew about the December 9th yeah. game. So, okay, November 1 was his last game before getting sent to the American League. I just remember it was right around the Pizza Pig Out because we were at the Pizza Pig Out and talking about it being a possibility. Anyway, I digress. Just makes a lot of sense. Coronado with Zarian and Kadri. Just give that a try. You don't rock the boat too much. Keep your Lindholm line the same. And Sharon Govich scored again. You keep the Backland line the same. I thought Manjapani had himself a whale of a game uh, against the Maple Leafs. So you keep those lines the same. And you're still tinkering and trying to figure out your fourth line. And here's a guy in Coronado who's got nothing but confidence in the American League. Pop him in. See what he can do. I'll preface this comment by saying I've coached exactly zero NHL games. But I would really, really hope that this isn't a situation where one of Razichka or Dubé gets promoted to that wing and then Klapka comes into the lineup in the fourth line, on the fourth line because I do expect at some point we'll see Klapka. I just hope that it's Coronado that gets elevated immediately should he be recalled as opposed to one of the fourth line guys getting promoted up because I really want to see what Matt Coronado has to offer in a scoring role alongside Zeri, who's been an absolute spark plug for this offense. Nazem Kadri, who's arguably been Calgary's best forward all season long. And I know he started slow, but the underlying metrics were very complimentary until he took off and he scored at basically a point per game since October 31st, since the Heritage Classic. So I'd like to see Matt Coronado, if he does come up, be the guy that gets the first look there. And to be perfectly honest, if he doesn't keep the spot, that's on him. But I'd really like to see him get the first look. Now, again... I've coached zero NHL games, and to I don't this know point, to this point. I mean, there's point. still hope. I just, I would shy away if I was the man making the call to elevate one of Ruzichka or Dubé in place of Coronado. Yeah, I, I, I would. I, I just, they've tried that. It hasn't necessarily worked. You're coming off a loss. You want Coronado to succeed. Yeah, it just makes a lot of sense. And 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 the other question is, do you get Klapka into a game as well? Because Klapka's up here. Right. Is, look, they're coming off a loss, and it's a whole lot easier to make lineup changes coming off a loss um, as opposed to coming off a win. I didn't think they were horrible against Toronto, but I didn't think they were great against Toronto. And so, yeah, I, I could see them making a change on defense. I could see them. I, I thought the fourth line struggled again. Uh, I think Greer and Dubé barely saw the ice in the final... I don't know, 30 minutes or so of that game. So it just, why not make a, why not make a couple of changes? And, and I know you're going up against the Oilers, but a big man like Klapka, I don't know, is there anything wrong with seeing him, even though it is the Battle of Alberta? I guess I'll answer your question with a question. And is the question is, is anybody not expendable on the fourth line right now in terms of they have to absolutely stay in the lineup? My answer would probably be no. No job is safe on the fourth line right now. So what's the harm in bringing Klapka in and seeing what you have against the Edmonton Oilers. He'll inject size. He'll inject enthusiasm. 
And if he can do some of the things that Ryan Huska is hoping his fourth line can do, and that set the table for the other three lines, get in on the four check, disrupt, try to limit the chances against, certainly limit the goals against, why not give Adam Klapka a shot? I, I think I would. I, you don't have anything to lose, to, in my mind, in giving him an audition. I, I, that's exactly the way that I look at it. It's like, what do you got to lose at this point? Um, and so there, there are a lot of moving parts on this team right now. Um, for them to recall Coronado, they're going to have to put Pospisil on waivers. Uh, not IR. On IR, sorry. They're going to have to put Pospisil on IR, um, which would then open the door. Like, right now they could, but then they also couldn't activate Gilbert, and, and I, I feel like there's a chance they might think about activating Gilbert yep. and, and trying him, because Gilbert's basically ready to go. So you've got Gilbert, who is knocking on the door, too. So you put Pospisil on IR. That opens up a spot to bring up Coronado and allows you to also bring Gilbert back on. Dubé's last shift against Toronto came with um, seven minutes left to go in the second period. Did not play the entire third period against Toronto. Uh, A.J. Greer's last shift, same thing. That all happened. That was the 4-2 goal from Matthews. Um, that or or right uh, right around he that. scored so many I'm gonna get them mixed up I'm not gonna lie I, I believe it was the four two goal from Matthews that kind of spelt the end of the night uh, Rizicka did get the bump uh, Rizicka did play he played in Pospisil's spot third period in, in well, Pospisil's spot yeah yeah so and again and I see a couple on the text line for and against elevating a Dube or Rizicka in Dube sense as you mentioned it like. I think you got to give the kid the shot over Dubé, who's, is he 23 games, 24 games without a goal and 28 without a point now yeah. after Thursday night against the Toronto Maple Leafs? And, like, is that who you elevate? Is that the reward, for lack of a better term? And I, I understand that Dubé had an, a really strong year last year. He had 45 points last season, but he hasn't brought it this season. And I think, in my mind, you would elevate the rookie, the first-year pro, who's absolutely torn up the American Hockey League after you demoted him and he's done what you've wanted him to do and he's shown what you've wanted him to show at the American Hockey League level, that's the guy in my mind that you reward with the second line. Yeah, for me, I, I would put um, I, I would put Coronado in and I would put Klopka in and I would see how it goes from there. Um, and maybe they lean towards Rizicka because he got the... I just... I don't know, I... With the way, I, I know that there's the hierarchy and all that type of stuff. With the way Ruzicka is played and with how long he's gone without a goal and a point, I don't, it would be a head scratcher if he got the bump onto that, cod, uh, onto the cadre line with Zeri. I'm not saying it won't happen. It's just, that's not the way I would go. It feels more natural to just pop Coronado on there if you ask me. Let me float this idea by you because yeah. it kind of just popped to the top of my head. But would you keep Ruzicka and Dubé both in the lineup against the Oilers? but start Coronado on that line with Kadri. And if that doesn't work, you can elevate one of Ruzichka Dubé and you'd still have one of them to center the fourth line. Because if you put Klapka in, you put Coronado in. If Coronado's not meshing on that line, if you wanted to elevate one of Dubé and Ruzichka, the other one's not in the lineup, suddenly you don't have a center for your fourth line. Few texts in just a few seconds, but here are the other moving parts going on right now. So you've got Pospisil likely going to IR, would just make sense if he's going to be out for an extended-ish period of time, like is, as Frank reported uh, earlier on Friday. If he's not going to be back until after the All-Star break, well, then an IR assignment just makes sense. Yeah. It opens up a roster spot for you. Um, you've got Pelche and Rooney who have yet to play in the American League, so that's still a little further on down the road, but at some point, that's going to be part of the conversation here. You've got Gilbert is close, and with the way the third pairing of Osterley and De Simone struggled against Toronto, you're going up against the Oilers, who have similar, if not scarier, high-end talent and, and scoring ability on their side, and if you got victimized on the third pairing a couple of times against Toronto... 
is is the Oilers game a good game to bring Dennis Gilbert back in and reunite maybe Gilbert with the Simone? That's that's something you could do. So you've got that. Gilbert's currently on IR as we're talking right now, but he's eligible to return at any point because he served the requisite time. Uh, they've got three goalies on the roster. They've got Markstrom still day-to-day with a lower body injury. Wolf's still up, and they've got Vladar, who looked good against Toronto. It's uncertain at best if, if Markstrom plays against Edmonton. And then you've got Oliver Shillington, who plays Friday night versus Coachella Valley in the American League, and that might be the last time we see him in the AHL because I'm not certain if they're going to end up getting the sign-off on, on an additional conditioning loan. He's been on this LTI conditioning loan. They got the extension last week to extend it to this game against Coachella on Friday, so could very well be the last game for Oliver Shillington in the American League, and then they have to figure out when he comes off of LTIR and when he starts practicing with the Flames again. Um, so there's a whole lot of different things. I'm not sure if Shillington's going to be going on a regular conditioning loan on top of this conditioning loan he's been on uh, on LTIR. So that that is also something to watch because he's got to come off LTI soon. Craig Conroy has about 2,000 <laughs> balls in the air right now that he's trying to to juggle. And that doesn't even count Hannafin and Tanev and, and Lindholm and the UFAs in the trade deadline right now. I was going to say reinforcements are on the way if you're the Calgary Flames, and there's going to be no shortage of options for Craig Conroy and Ryan Huska in terms of what they want to do. And if they're displeased with what they're seeing out of either the fourth line or the third pair or what have you, there's certainly going to be some turnover and some guys are going to be in a, well, they already are in a steep competition to keep their roster spot or keep their position in the NHL. Because as you mentioned, I have to think that Peltier is going to be an option for the Calgary Flames. If Shillington's good to go, he's going to be a guy that comes up immediately. And then you have a guy like Rooney. If you're dissatisfied with what your fourth line center is giving you, he's going to be an option for the Calgary Flames as well. You got Klapka up right now. You got Coronado up. If they happen to take off, like there should be some uneasy seats in the Calgary Flames dressing room right now because there's so many players that are eligible to return in the near to just a little bit beyond near future that could impact the roster that the Calgary Flames ice on a daily basis. Yeah. And and I mean, if you wanna get if you wanna get Pelche in at some point, even if it's two, three, four weeks down the road. There's got to be room. Yep. And if you want to get, uh, and and you you can't just obviously you don't hope for injuries, right? But you can't assume injuries. Flames have been one of the healthier teams in the NHL this year uh, in terms of man games lost. I think they're in the top ten in terms of of fewest man games lost in the NHL. You've got um, you you've got some guys who are waiver eligible for the first time or or still new into you know like Rizicka needs waivers. Uh, Dewar needed waivers. He cleared, obviously, is now playing in the American League. Um, any of the defensemen right now need waivers? The only one that doesn't need waivers outside of Coronado is Zeri, is it not? Or does Zeri require waivers as well? Wolf doesn't. Wolf, he, sorry. I'm, I'm thinking of position players. Right, no, sorry, no, no, that's no. on me. Yeah. But Wolf's yeah. got one more year. He'll need waivers next season. Yeah. Zeri is not going down, but no. he wouldn't need to clear waivers. The only thing that you would do there is maybe... Paper. S- paper them just uh, for a 24-hour period on an off day just to see if you could just just if you're really in tough yeah that's not to that's not going to be a game day move that the Calgary Flames make there's not a chance Connor Zary is going back to the Wranglers when he could be playing an actual game for the Flames yeah it just yeah. wouldn't make any sense whatsoever. And that would probably be a piss off if you did it because it's a <laughs> day of it's a day of losing NHL pay that which too, is no but fun. <laughs> I mean I can't imagine Hold the on. perks of being up on the NHL roster for even a day for some of these younger players is phenomenal for the bank account. Take a look at the uh, you take a look at the the end of your your latest pay period to get your paycheck. Like, why is that lower than it's? Oh, because my one day <laughs> being on an NHL roster it's that, that noticeable. Cut me that cost me that much money. Yeah, it does. When you're getting ten times, doesn't matter that you're on a, a under one million dollar contract. You'll see it. You'll know. You make ten times what he makes. Yes. I think you should leave. You'll get it. I'll have to go back for that one. The magician sucks, Skip. Um, Let's read a few texts. (laughs) 960, 960. Uh, Lots of them. Uh, This says, from Tyler and Boness, do you think we'll ever see Pospisil again this year with a history of concussions like that poor guy has? Was that a possible career ender? 
Also, do you feel that him getting hurt like that sucked the life out of the guys due to them being worried about a fellow teammate? And maybe that's why they kind of tanked it in the second. Uh, look, we don't even know if it is a concussion on it's just possible. upper body just upper at this body. point. So I think it would be irresponsible to start even having those conversations. And Sarah Valley's report was, was quite positive uh, in terms of what it could be. Like, it looked bad. I don't even know if you can make a, uh, a definitive, like, oh, it has to be his head. Like, could have been, but could have been Neck, a number shoulder. of other things, right? So, it didn't look pretty, but I'd, I'd hesitate to rush to declare it one thing or the other. Exactly. So I'm not, I, 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 don't, I don't even want to go down the what it could be. I know that Martin's got a history of concussions, and that is a scary part of the, the whole conversation. And then you hear upper body, and you're like, oh, I get it. But we don't even know if it is a concussion for Pospisil. Um, as for, do I think losing Pospisil had an impact on the game? Yeah, I do. Whether it's for the reasons that Tyler suggested or just overall, um, you take away one of your most effective forwards of late. And that, with with no disrespect to Rizicka, who jumped up onto that line, I thought Pospisil was playing his best hockey yet and was a big part of what has made that line successful. His pace, Zeri's creativity, and then you've got the driver in Kadri. Like, that's been a great line for him, and you took one-third of it off. So that I, I do think it made some sort of an impact. Well, and don't forget the antagonist nature Pospisil brings as well to that line. He is a Agreed. thorn in the side, and to be perfectly honest, he's been more impactful over this last stretch than anybody on the fourth line is, and him leaving the game effectively eliminated the fourth line altogether. As you mentioned, Dubé and Greer didn't play f- from seven minutes onward or the seven-minute mark of the second period onward. Ruzichka got the elevation, but now you're just running three lines for the bulk of the game. Uh, this reads from Ben. Should Coronado be paired with a passing center rather than a shooter like Kadri? Would that not benefit him more? I haven't coached any games either, just a thought. Um, the only reason I would say just pop Coronado onto that line is A, because Zeri's pretty good at finding guys. Yep. B, just rocks the boat a whole lot less. Yeah, you don't mess with the first the line, lines, and you don't right? mess with, well, I don't want to label it. You don't mess with the Lindholm line. You don't mess with the Backlund line just because one member of the Kadri line is out in my books. Uh, this from Dwayne at Midnapore says, forget Dubé and Ruzicka. It's Adam Klapka time. Uh, we'll see. Uh, Mick makes an interesting point. You put Dubé with Kadri and Zeri. If uh, after four or five games you don't see anything, then you recall Coronado. Dubé had 45 points last year and needs a real good look in the top nine. Dubé's done it before. You give Dubé the first shot and not just a game, give him four or five. That comes from Mick. I, I think they're going to be recalling Coronado regardless. Um, I would go about we'll it the see. exact opposite way, to be perfectly honest with you. Give if Coronado, Coronado the first run, and if it doesn't Dubé. work, then Dubé would be my backup plan. To go back to my, would you keep Rizichka and Dubé in the lineup with Coronado in case he doesn't fit there? The flip side of that is if he doesn't fit, maybe Klapka gets elevated if he gets in the lineup as well because he's still a right shot, right wing, and I feel like he could open up a lot of space for that line too. Um... This says, from Murray and Rocky Mountain House, Ruzicka didn't look good last night, seemed disinterested. Um, This says, is Coronado playing tonight for the Wranglers? Don't believe so. We'll be able to confirm that. But uh, it's everything that's kind of being suggested and and that I've spoken to. I don't think he's playing. We'll confirm that, though, a little bit later. The uh, Wranglers are in Coachella Valley. I believe Oliver Shillington is playing for the Wranglers against the Coachella Valley Thunderbirds, the top affiliate of the Seattle Kraken, but don't believe Coronado's going to, so we'll see. That's our look inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Flames fans, meet Cal and Gary, top products curated for Calgarians, and we mean every single one of you. Only available at Calgary Co-op. Visit them today. A few other things to hit on, before we get to the Daily Flames roundtable and really focus in on the Battle of Alberta, um, a loss to Toronto on Thursday night. Flames had a great first period, up to nothing. Then it's two one. That Austin Matthews goal really swung dagger. things. It really was. They come out of that period two nothing. You're thinking well, to yourself. Think about it okay. too. Sorry to interrupt. Michael Backlund hit the post one thirty six prior to that goal. It was ninety six seconds. seconds. I knew yeah. it was close. Somewhere right know. in there. So you're looking at 3 nothing going into the uh, intermission versus 2-1, game of inches. Um, and that's a real good lesson against the Oilers. They played a great first period. That was one of their best first periods of the year. Loved them in the opening yes. 20. Even the, even the Matthews goal, I, it wasn't like a 
egregious mistake. It was more Matthews making a hell of a something play. out of nothing. He really did. Like all That's of a superstar's goal. And and it was a change on the fly. Like he was out there with Gregor and McMahon at well, the Well, and the pass was in his skates, pulls it up, steps around, rifles a shot top corner. Like that is a highlight real goal. No yeah. two ways about it. Like it just it was less of a I, I know there was a lot of talk about how could you have Osterley and D. Simone out there against him. Well, Matthews had come onto the ice as the fourth line was finishing a shift. So it wasn't bad matching by the Flames. It was just you can't match on the fly the same way you can statically, right? So yeah. Matthews came on, the puck came loose, Gregor got it to him, and then it was a bad pass. He put it between his legs, split the D, I get it, and then ripped it past Vladar. But it was just, that was more of a Matthews goal than it was a mistake. But it was still an absolute dagger, and it gave the Maple Leafs momentum. And they the, the Flames did not start the second period the same way they played in the first. And then Toronto smelled blood, and Willie Nylander started cool. to, oh, was he good? His um, first points in signing that massive contract. Which is crazy, because other than Matthews, he looked like the most dangerous yeah. player on the ice. Like, he was ridiculous. Now, granted, it was only a four-game pointless drought, but still. Still, first point since he's in his a hometown. $11.5 million man or whatever he is. Um, Yeah, not quite accurate. It's, <laughs> his, it's his birth town. Oh, He did spend time here. Yes. That is correct. Man, that was that was a really well. He's coming home. He's coming home. To <laughs> uh, I don't know if that is the best angle. Okay, touche. Um, I'm not. That's more just tongue in cheek. Yes, I saw it a lot online uh, before he signed his deal. Um, but that that is a good lesson. Like you've got to be that much more detail oriented when you're playing a team like the Maple Leafs on Thursday or the Oilers on Saturday in the Battle of Alberta. Your details, your commitment to being above them, your commitment to defending is five, all that all that stuff. Like, you just have to be at a detail level at, at an even higher level when you're going up against players like that because they can turn games in an instant, and that was a perfect example. Absolutely. They've got game breakers. That's, that's the thing. And going back to last season and, and, and Daryl Sutter and, and this season with Ryan Huska, do the Calgary Flames have a true game breaker? No, not really. They're going to get by on their depth. But you look on the other side of the ice on Thursday night, and you can count one, two, three of them. And very specifically, two of them made them pay in Matthews and Nylander. And that's not even counting the fact that Marner scored a goal with the worst goal celebration ever. I don't know if you caught that. He kind of linebacker tackled Nylander after the goal and. Well, well kind of awkward, but it was like, that was the three-two goal, yes. right? It was it was like a that was a semifinal World Junior third period celebration, <laughs> yeah. for a January second period NHL regular season game. And I get it; the, the Leafs have been struggling, and that was a big goal they had just climbed. Out. I was, but I turned to Logan beside me. I was like, "Well, easy World Junior." <laughs> Like he, he did like the on one knee with the fist bump, and then they fell over celebrating. You only see that in the World Juniors. What it reminds me of is Nylander actually in the 2017 or 2019 World Championship. I can't remember, but he scored an overtime goal, I think it was, to win. Went barreling down on Henrik Carlson or Hendrik Lundqvist, pardon me, and just... Henrik Carlson? Yeah, the Calgary good Tower? Good pull. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist, pardon me. Never thought I would ever get those two mixed up that way, um, but just straight tackled him for 10-yard loss, sack, you name it. And that's kind of what it looked like with Marner last night. <laughs> I like that. Um, you got to go Dan Vladar. If, if Markstrom's not ready, and, and I think uncertain at best that he'll be good to go sa Saturday, it kind of feels like, and, and I know that the door is open for it, but it kind of feels like you've got an opportunity for two more days of rest after the Oilers game. Maybe you take that if he's, you know, if it's uncertain, Right now, maybe you take those extra two days and, and target Tuesday against St. Louis instead. If Markstrom's not ready, you got to go Vladar with the way he's played the last two. Great against Vegas in Vegas. Was that the game? No, great against, um, who did they play on Tuesday? Arizona. Arizona. Great against Arizona on Tuesday, and he really was. Played himself a really strong game, allowed the Flames to come back and win that game. And I know he allowed four on 33, but that third period – Lost in all the hubbub of the waved off or, or the overturned goal from Zeri was how bad the Flames were caved in oh. in the third period. The Maple Leafs ran the show and could have been up. That goal might have been completely irrelevant because if, if it's not for Vladar, it could have been at the time like 6 or 7-3 with the amount. 
final high dangers in the third period were 9 nothing Toronto. Oof. Like, they caved the Flames in. So, Vladar it was, was outstanding and, and more than gave him a chance to win. Two of those nine were clear-cut breakaways that Vladar had to fend off. I think one was Marner. I can't remember who the other one was, but they came within like a two- or a three-minute span as well with the Flames within one goal. Like, one of those goes in, it's curtains. You don't even get to the controversy of a disallowed hand-pass goal. He was just, he held the fort in the third period. Yes, granted, and as you said, he allowed four goals, but he didn't allow the fifth. If that, I mean, that sounds weird, and that's the old Grant Fear kind of thing. He may let in whatever, but when you need him, he's not letting in one more. Vladar really held the fort over the final 20 minutes to give the Flames any sort of shot at tying up that game. I mean, you've got the Matthews 2-1 goal, the Matthews second goal on a just a extended shift in the offensive zone for the Maple Leafs, then a four-on-three power play goal. Well, one Matthews... of the Matthews goals was on a delayed penalty as well, so it was, it was, it was That's right, it was a six-on-five. Yeah. Uh, the, the second one was on a, on a delayed penalty. Then the Matthews, the it went, what, uh, Nylander-Matthews, or Matthews-Nylander across to Marner on the 3-2, and then the giveaway to Matthews in the wrong spot to make it 4-2. Like, I don't know, how much are we really pinning this on Dan Vladar, yeah. the fact that he allowed four? I thought he played well. And so if Jacob's not ready to go, I'm and, and that I know everybody wants to see Dustin Wolf, but against the Oilers, Ladar's played the Oilers before. Ladar's looked good of late. To me, you gotta go back to number eighty if if you don't have your number one. My only counter argument to Wolf against the Oilers is at some point he's gonna play the Oilers. At some point you can't shelter his start, so on and so forth. But at this point, I don't know how you go to Dan Vladar and say, sorry, you didn't give us enough against the Toronto Maple Leafs. We need to make a change. Yeah. And of course, this is anticipating Jacob Markstrom not being available on Saturday because if he is somehow 100% ready to go, that's your de facto starter. But if you're looking at a sample of Vladar and Wolf, again, I know everybody wants to see Dustin Wolf, and everybody in this city would love Dustin Wolf to end that winning streak up north. But I think you got to go Vladar here. Last thing I'll say. Bad rule, not bad call. Yes, thank you. You took the words right out of my mouth. On the but uh, call was 100% correct. It's just a badly phrased rule. Yeah. Called by, I, I think, by the book. I think they quoted, even Ryan Huska said it was the right call post game. I just think it's a silly rule. Don't call it a hand pass. Like, make it a little bit more specific. Like, okay, can't touch a glove. Anyway, I digress. If he flips his hand over and it hits the outside of his glove, that's fine. Yeah. But because he was this way, I know. no goal. Uh, if you enjoy skating and like to make a difference, then sign up for the Great Skate. This eight-hour team skating event in support of In From The Cold and is happening on Sunday, January 28th at the Olympic Oval. The Great Skate is open to anyone 12 years and older. All you need is skates and a helmet. There's a fun way to spend time with your family and friends while helping raise money for families experiencing homelessness. For more information and to register, go to thegreatskate.ca. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, it is time for our Friday edition of the Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Save thousands on the 2023 GLB 250, GLC 300 Coupe, C300 or the GLC300, zero down and a 2% loyalty lease rate reduction. Steinberg, Aaron Vickers of NHL.com, and on the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills joins us to complete our Daily Flames roundtable. Gents, coming off a 4-3 loss to the Edmonton Oilers, uh, sorry, to the Toronto Maple Leafs on Thursday. The Flames now get set for the Edmonton Oilers in round two of the Battle of Alberta. Our first BOA game at the Scotiabank Saddledome since late December of 2022. It's been almost 13 full months since we've seen the Oilers in a regular season game at the Dome, which is crazy to think. The Oilers, uh, with four unanswered goals on Thursday night, extended their franchise record winning streak to 12 in a row. They've won 20 of their last 23 entering action on Saturday. Flames just had their win streak snapped at four. Gents, knowing this rivalry, knowing the Oilers haven't been to the Dome in more than a calendar year, and knowing what the Oilers are doing right now, how pinned back are those ears going to be for the Flames to be the one that ends the winning streak for the Oilers? 
Well, they're going to be fired up for sure. And it's not like the Flames don't have something to play for. I mean, I know they lost last night and their four-game winning streak came to an end, but they're still three points out of a playoff spot. So they've got plenty to play for. And obviously, extra motivation anytime you play the Oilers and extra motivation because you have a chance to snap the longest winning streak in the history of that franchise, which is crazy when you think about it, that uh, those great teams that were full of Hall of Famers back in the 1980s didn't string 12 straight wins together maybe took a night off here and there but a pretty impressive stretch for the owners who looked like they were dead in the water earlier this season and all of a sudden they're top three in the pacific division and the way they're playing might fight for the division title so yeah the flames are going to be geared up but i think they have to be careful with that uh, you can't come out and be so fired up that uh, you get away from being structured and if they could channel what they did in the first period against the Maple Leafs on Thursday night for close to a full 60 minutes against the Oilers on Saturday night, then I think they've got a great chance to win the hockey game. But they made too many mistakes in the second period and in the first part of the third period. And the Maple Leafs with some generational players like Austin Matthews, who scored a hat trick and had four points, and Mitch Marner, who was dangerous at times, and I would say the same about William Nylander. I thought they did a pretty good job with Captain John Tavares on Thursday night, but uh, as Ryan Huska said prior to Thursday's game against the Maple Leafs, listen, those guys are going to get their chances. They're great players. They're going to get their opportunities. You have to try to limit those, and when they get their chances, uh, you're going to need some saves, and Dan Vladar certainly gave them some saves last night, and Flames probably win that hockey game if Austin Matthews doesn't play like the all-world player that he is. But the uh, same thing can be said, I think, for the Oilers. Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl are going to get their chances. You have to try to limit them, and when they get them, you have to limit the damage that they do. If you can hold those guys to three points between them, then I think you're in a pretty good spot to win the hockey game. But if McDavid scores three goals and adds an assist like Matthews did uh, on Thursday night, then... Uh, you're probably going to be in tough to to win that hockey game. Um, just before you jump in, Vix, here is maybe the craziest thing. You know, Wilsey talks about how, okay, they've won 12 in a row here, franchise record. Even when you count in ties, the glory years Oilers, when they were dominating the NHL from 1981 until 1990-91, that decade where they were clearly the the class of the, of the sport, the longest undefeated streak they ever had was 15 uh, in 84-85. That is 20 off the all-time record of 35 as an undefeated streak. Like that, It's just, you're like, they were that good and yet they never won 12 in a row and they only ever put, not like not like this is a bad thing, like 15 still good, but you're just like, huh, for whatever reason, losses were sprinkled in there. Not, not to suggest they weren't, like they were still the best. It's just crazy to think that. Anyway, uh, they had a 15-game undefeated streak in the 84-85 season, which is their franchise record for How many ties well. are in there? Do you know? Do you have that off? Uh, I don't have that okay, off. Fair enough. Know. Well, here, let me throw another stat at you then, because the Edmonton Oilers, with their 12-game winning streak, has tied the 67-68 Canadians for the longest winning streak by a Canadian team in NHL history. Just if the Flames wanted to layer on a little extra, extra motivation, motivation on top of the Battle of Alberta, maybe stopping the Oilers from being the sole possessors of that Canadian record. Mm-hmm. But for me, this whole thing comes down to the Calgary Flames first. They have to want to win for themselves first and beat the Oilers second. I think they need to be more focused on themselves than the opposition, and that's going to be hard to do with the circus that'll hit Scotiabank Saddledome on Saturday, whether it be media, whether it be attention, whether it be, as you mentioned, the first battle of Alberta since late, late 2022, missing the entire calendar year 2023. And I'm sure we'll hear a lot of it on Saturday morning about we need to focus on ourselves first, but I truly believe that this isn't a cliche right now for the Calgary Flames. They need to be more concerned about their game than that of the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, by the way, somebody texted in, who has the record? Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers have the, uh, the 70s Flyers have the record for 35 games without a loss when you count. Yeah, okay, teams, were, teams were so terrified to go into the spectrum <laughs> that like intimidation, I think, will always be a factor in, in this sport, but uh, not at the level that it was back then. I've talked to players who played against those Flyers teams, and they told me stories about how on the bus ride from the hotel to the arena, guys would be throwing up. Like they were terrified to go in there and, and have to deal with with those guys. Oh, so, I I wouldn't have yeah. been scared. I was going to say 
I'm yeah. I'm not soft at all. I'd you to challenge the whole bench, right, Pat? Oh, absolutely. Bob, Bobby Clark, bring yeah. it. I'm just curious how many Schultz. How many of those thirty? How many of those thirty-five were just straight up forfeits and they don't show up at all? <laughs> and just wave it like when the uh, when the the All Blacks do the the haka before yeah. the game, and people are like, yeah, you know what? They just won before the, the opening kickoff. Anyway, I digress. Um, the I I I kind of so I said this on Thursday prior to the Leafs game. I said. I kind of, um, I kind of hope the Oilers do win, just so that the Flames have the opportunity to be the team that breaks the streak. And and I'm sorry, like I kind of, as much as we can say, ah, it's just another game, and they gotta treat it like another game. I kind of hope that they are all like extra fired up, more fired up than they normally would be to play the Oilers. I kind of hope that they look at this as like a, a bit of a Super Bowl, like. Go out, be the team that ends it for the Oilers. Go out like I, I, and I know there's always the worry of being too intense or getting away from your details. And on the outside, I'm like, eh, go, just go out and and I, I hope that they approach this like it is a Super Bowl type game because I think they've got a really cool opportunity and that'd be a nice little uh, that'd be a nice little thing to pop in your back pocket if you're the Flames to be the team that ended it for the Oilers. Obviously won't be easy, but I hope that they are extra motivated and extra dialed, even if that does run the risk of getting away from their details. I'm fine with that. Uh, I think details are going to be really important on Saturday night. I do. And yeah, that's no fun though. Details and five man uh, units and playing a bubble on your parade, poop on your party. But I mean, I just, Hmm. Playing against that team, I'd rather you I think details are going to be really important. They're they're going to be extra motivated. There's no doubt about it. If it was just a regular game against the Oilers, they would be extra motivated. But with a chance to snap the longest winning streak in the history of that franchise, uh, there's going to be a lot of juice uh, for both teams in the building. It's going to be a great night at Scotiabank Saddledome, as long as it's a, a competitive hockey game. And again, if the Flames can just worry about themselves and, and playing the same way they did in the opening 20 minutes on Thursday night against the Maple Leafs when they limited shots, they limited chances, and outside of uh, a mistake slash bad bounce, didn't give them much of anything. And, you know, if that's not Austin Matthews, I'm not sure there's five players in the league that scored that goal that made it 2-1. So uh, they played a great first period on Thursday night. If they can do that for closer to three periods on Saturday night, it's too cliche for me to say, they got to play a full 60 minutes. Listen, the orders are too good and they're feeling too good. They're going to have stretches where they're the better of the two teams and they're pushing. The flames have to be able to weather that storm. And if they can, then I think they have a chance to, uh, to stop history tomorrow night. If not, then it could be a long night for them. So hoping for a great game. Uh, by the way, uh, somebody on the text line asked uh, what, year did the Canadians win their 12 in a row 67 68 they won 12 straight so that is the record for longest win streak by a Canadian team the 67 68 Habs and the current Edmonton Oilers so you know what they can stay tied you know if they if they stay tied I'm fine with that. They don't need to start a new. You know, I'm I'm fine with them not starting a new one. And it was the uh, I guess this would not have been the Broad Street Broad Street Bullies. It would would 7980. That wouldn't have been the Broad Street Bullies, would it be? Would that be near the end of of near that the run? End of that era. Yeah, yeah. that was near when the, the uh, that, that was when the Flyers went undefeated for 35 straight wow. games. Uh, Daily Flames Roundtable. Wilsey uh, with Vickers and Steinberg on this Friday. So let's just, uh, it, we're making this roundtable all about the Battle of Alberta. Uh, there hasn't been a traditional Battle of Alberta in quite some time since December of 20, uh, December 27th of 2022. We saw the Heritage Classic in October, which was a great spectacle, but this is more traditional, back in the regular rinks and back at the Scotiabank Saddledome. But overall, gents, you know, recent years, last couple of years, how do we feel the Flames have matched up against this team? Like, what's the confidence level of the Flames matching up effectively against Edmonton? Well, last season is last season. And the one game this season was a weird one because it was, the, it was the Heritage Classic and both teams were playing terribly at the time. And, you know, the owners won that hockey game. We thought uh, it might be a springboard for, for them and it really wasn't. So uh, I throw that one out as well. Uh, I go back to when the two teams met in the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs a couple of years ago. Uh, that was a series that 
uh, I think could have gone Calgary's way if Jacob Markstrom was the goaltender in that series that he was in the regular season and even in the first round versus the Stars when he might have been the second best goaltender on the ice, but he also might have been the second best goaltender in the first round of the playoffs that year because Jake Ottinger was just that good. But, you know, he fell off and uh, the Flames were able to beat the Oilers at their own game in game one. And I thought, geez, if they can do that, if the Flames can actually play their game and get to their game and stick with their game, then I love their chances to win the series. But, you know, in hindsight, uh, that kind of just wound the orders up and uh, they played their game for the rest of that series and, and the Flames simply didn't get enough saves. So uh, it hasn't been great for the Flames versus their biggest rival over the last couple of years, but that doesn't mean that that's how it's going to be moving forward. Uh, obviously, the availability of Jacob Markstrom with the way he's played the last couple of months, uh, if you could have him between the pipes on Saturday night, that would be absolutely huge because then the Flames have the advantage at the most important position in the sport. I think you could argue that the Flames are better on defense than the Oilers are, but it's hard to argue that the Flames have more talent up front than the Oilers do. You could argue they have more depth, but they certainly don't have those high-end guys like McDavid and Dreisaitl. So it uh, doesn't look like a great matchup on paper, but games aren't played on paper. They're played on the ice. And I think the key for the Flames tomorrow night is to try to frustrate the Oilers, especially their top players, make life hard on them. And I would love to see, because the Flames have home ice for this Battle of Alberta, I would love to see Ryan Huska try to get Michael Backlund out there against Connor McDavid as often as possible. As a matter of fact, when I think back to that playoff series a couple of years ago, once Daryl Sutter started hard matching Michael Backlund against Connor McDavid, I thought he was much less effective. Still effective, but much less effective. So I like that matchup. And as the home team tomorrow night, the Flames can go out of their way to get it as often as possible. And I'd like to see if, if Backlund and Coleman and Mangiapane can shut down or at least slow down McDavid and company. I think that's uh, the path to success for the Flames on Saturday night. Yeah, if we're grading out these two teams as it stands right now, and I know that's not quite the question, Pat, but I think you've got to give it to the Oilers on the forward core, Flames on the D core, and on paper, Flames goaltending as well. And the reason why I say that right now is because I think there was an argument to be made that the Calgary Flames were a lot closer with their forward core when it was the likes of Johnny Goudreau, Matthew Kachuk as Calgary's game breakers. And back then, you obviously, of course, had a 40-goal, 80-point Elias Lindholm rolling. So I thought that maybe a couple of years ago, up front, the Flames matched up a little bit better with the Oilers than they do right now. Now, that said, I think the three lines that the Calgary Flames are rolling right now gives the Flames a lot more depth than, than maybe they had back then when it was you know, a scoring line and, and maybe whatever Michael Backlund managed to do. Flames, simply put, I think they're a little bit of an underdog of late as it comes to matching up directly against the Edmonton Oilers. And Wilsey laid out the playoff series that they had, and he laid out a really, I thought it was a really good pointer. Games aren't played on paper, they're played on the ice. So whether or not I think this player is better than that player, so on and so forth, doesn't matter because at the end of the day, you got to go out on the ice and prove that you're better or prove that you're not the underdog. The, um, I, there, there's just the one, and I don't like, I don't necessarily like, um, saying good things about them, but if it's Skinner versus Vladar, wouldn't you have to give the edge to Skinner? He's 930 in the this 23-game span. He started uh, 18 yeah. of the 23 games the Oilers have played where they've won 20, and he's 930. Sorry, I was more going overall, overall assuming that. Right. Yeah, it, yeah. If it's Markstrom versus Skinner, Markstrom gets the checkmark right. for me. And if it's as well Vladar, as Skinner's played, he's turned his season around for sure. Oh, for yeah. sure, and, and has helped turn the Oilers' season around. And Yeah. Um, I, I think uncertain at best is the best way to – um, is to classify Jacob's status for Saturday. You almost wonder if if it's uncertain. Do you wait until Tuesday with the extra two days with between games after Saturday? They they don't play Sunday or Monday. I believe they're completely off on Sunday. And here's the other thing about the Oilers. I, I think the I, I think the old idea of well, if you just don't get into a track meet with the Oilers, if you play them tight, they're going to be in tough. Look at the Oilers' scores. They have allowed. Two or fewer goals in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten straight wins. One, two, three, they've, four, five. They've seven, allowed eight, nine, ten, five nothing, three, two, seven, two, five, two, three, one, two, one, three, two, two, one, four, two, four, two. 
this group isn't just winning these high-scoring shootouts. Like the Flames are going to have to be detailed, but they, it, this this might not be a six-five Oilers win if Edmonton wins. They they could very easily come into the dome and and this is a a, a one-one game after forty. So um, that that also is important to point out is that the Oilers are unfortunately winning games that way, and we also know they can run up the score on teams. I'm. I am fascinated to see what this game's all about. I guess to answer my own question, I have not loved the way the Flames have matched up going back to the playoff series. Um, and last year was was what it was. There were the three games. Flames won early. Oilers then won two, the last two, but they were actually pretty close, all things considered. Regular season games have been pretty close. Take the Heritage Classic out of it. Um, and so I think there's a chance that the Flames at home – to your point, if you can get that back in line out there consistently against McDavid, I think it gives the Flames a chance to keep this thing close and and make it a really competitive hockey game. Yeah, so do I. And I'm expecting a, a close game tomorrow night to maybe another back-and-forth battle, which would be a lot of fun uh, for the fans inside of the Saddle Dome. But uh, again, you have to limit the damage that their top guys do. The Flames didn't do a good enough job of that against the Maple Leafs on Thursday night. And you could argue that Austin Matthews put that team on his back and almost single-handedly beat the Flames. He was that good on Thursday night with uh, his 11th career hat trick and an assist in that hockey game. And obviously they don't win that one without him. So you can't let Connor McDavid and or Leon Dreisaitl do that to you. But if you can limit the damage those two guys do, I still think the Flames have an advantage when it comes to depth. And I think something as small as the Flames' fourth line uh, bringing something that they haven't brought often enough, and that's just a simple north-south game where they play with speed and physicality. I think that that can wear down the Oilers' defenseman and, and set the table for the other three lines to do some damage. And you know, I think about how Jonathan Huberto is playing right now. Two more points for him on Thursday night. So he's now got 10 in his last nine games. He's playing at a much higher level. The same can be said for Andrew Montrapani. And I do think that uh, there's a potential that uh, this Battle of Alberta brings the best out of the Flames and could be a, a real springboard for them heading into the back half of this season-long six-game homestand and towards the NHL's All-Star break. They are in a much better position than they were. But if you lose to both the Maple Leafs and to the Oilers, then, again, you, you, you kind of get back to what they were doing earlier this season. Two steps forward, one step back. Three steps forward, two steps back. They can't do that. It's too tight in the Western Conference playoff race. So uh, a huge game that uh, could be a springboard for the Flames, and and I hope that it will be. Uh, see you on Saturday, Willsey. Thank you. Can't wait, guys. That's Derek Wills. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. That's your Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Mercedes invented airbags and automatic braking systems. Makes sense they came up with the unparalleled EQ lineup. 0% lease rate on select 2023 models. See in store for more details. As we start to wrap up this hour, Cam and Shan have been our producers. Mr. Vickers, see you on Saturday for pregame. Uh, and uh, enjoy your weekend, pal. I shall. Aaron Vickers on Twitter at AA Vickers, and that'll do it for this hour. And this hour has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Did you know Calgary Lock and Safe also fixes doors? If you have one that needs it, visit calgarylockandsafe.com slash doors.